now with a solo episode number two uh that last solo episode got a lot of really good feedback from people uh everyone thought that the whole uh, star wars uh, han solo uh meme was pretty funny pretty clever um i do have to admit that that took probably every bit of my cleverness to to uh create so i'm pretty much tapped out on that so don't expect any more creative uh this at that level from me <laughs> just kidding um but uh yeah that that was a lot of fun uh doing solo episodes um or talking to yourself you know doesn't seem uh normal uh for i would say in general uh, I'm not the kind of person that usually puts myself out. Um, I don't do that much on social media, even though I've been trying to do a better job at it. Uh, so I realize that if you probably took every single one of my posts and Instagram stories or reels or whatever you want to call them and total them all up, it probably would equal, you know, two and a half days of like a 14 year old, uh, posting you know about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich so yeah yeah <laughs> but uh i am going to try to do a better job at that but re- you know doing the podcast is uh in general has not been easy for me uh it you know even though you're just recording into a microphone you do get there there is a set of nerves that are involved um because you are creating something that potentially anybody anywhere in the world can listen to or can hear uh and you know once it's out there it's out there there's no taking it back you know once you know once once uh once on the internet always on the internet so um that in of itself can be you know can create a little bit of anxiety but the more i do it the easier it is getting so you know the solo episodes I'm going to say probably, um, you know, Wendell said that I, I, it sounded really good and, you know, he really liked it. And um, he said I had a real knack for it. But I'm thinking that that's probably because I'm getting old and talking to yourself is just something that you end up doing. You know, you, you don't even realize you're doing it and then you're doing it. So, you know, I'm, I'm here sitting right now in my um, living room uh, on the dinner table here you know, speaking to myself in an empty room with my cat staring at me. So pretty normal, right? (laughs) Anyways. Um, so this particular episode and all the, I should say the podcast in general does not have any official sponsors. It's a sponsor free podcast. Uh, so if you'd like to show your support, uh, go ahead and, um, in the show notes, where you see the description of the the episode there's a there'll be a link at the end of it where you can um you know donate a couple bucks if you want uh to the podcast um I did pay for everything myself 
the equipment and the and all the gear so you know not that uh i need any financial help with that it's just if you if anyone feels inclined to do so uh i'd greatly appreciate it um but honestly the best way that you can help me is uh to you know leave a leave a review in in itunes or you know in spotify or whatever platform it is that you're downloading the podcast from or listening to you know go on there and uh, share some feedback and go ahead and you know i guess good or bad and even bad reviews are good in the sense that i guess it helps the algorithm tell people you know tells the the i don't know how the algorithm works um but i'm sure it's working and it seems to be that if you type something in there that helps but um the uh another way that you can really end up helping me is to support your local archery shops i would love it if you supported my archery shop where i work at west coast archery shop in petaluma california it'd be great if uh you know all my local you know rudecast audience could share some love and you know buy some arrows every once in a while or t-shirt or a hat or something like that that that's always a good way but um i know you have local archery shops by you and i'm always going to promote that you support an archery shop um before going online um i'm not going to say online is uh the a bad guy or that you should stay away from doing business online um i just think that you should probably try to help the local guy first um if they're completely um bad then well you know that i'm sorry then certainly you know come share you know come come show us some love um believe it or not some of the online companies uh, i'm not talking about amazon or any of the i'm talking like actual like archery you know shops that have online stores or like lancaster or you know you know shops like that actually you know do support the industry they do sponsor events they do they do give back so you know amazon doesn't give back they amazon just you know you know every time you buy that cheap chinese uh knockoff site on amazon you're you're just paying for a little short bald man to get flown into space so uh you know don't do that <laughs> uh, unless you want to see that then i guess do that but anyways the uh today um i'm or i should say um later today i'm going to be um speaking to heather and doing a follow-up episode um after her uh podium finish at uh uh, at the uh usa archery field nationals and um she's going to give us some more insight into that format and then also into the um the Jordan project that Paige has been working on. And um, since uh, Heather has made the, the list, she's going to share what she knows and uh, what what she looks forward to in that event. So that'll be great for everyone to hear. Um, next, I would like to kind of talk a little bit about um, my homie Wendell and his last episode about... Uh, you know, archery, negativity in our sport. 
So, you know, I guess in any sport there's going to be, you know, negativity or, you know, there's, um, you know, going to be a little bit of drama. You know, I, for one, try to stay away from it as much as possible, even though every once in a while it comes knocking at my door. And, uh, you know, like the tax man, sometimes you got to pay up and sometimes you got to deal with it. So the, you know, if, if Wendell went on and, and, and shared what he, his experience, um, with you guys, I I have to say that I think he thought that there might be a benefit to it. Um, you know, his experience with, uh, people online, um, and, you know, is probably no different than anybody's experience online. You go online, you post something, and then you have a hundred different people get on there and they have an opinion and they try to, you know, you know, argue with each other and, and then it gets derailed into, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and for all you know, you could be arguing with a two-year-old. Um, in this case, you know, he, he had, he's been dealing with this uh, guy here locally who goes by the name of nuts and bolts. Um, I've never met him. I know people that have met him locally. I've seen him at, at events, never shooting, but, um, you know, I've, you know, he does exist. He is a real human being. He's not a 12 year old on archery talk, but, um, what I kind of want to bring to note about that whole thing is, um, I certainly would never want to discourage anybody from sharing what they know about archery with other people. I guess, you know, there's different levels that I'm going to call this podcast, or I'm going to say what I do more of a regional reach. So what I do is reaching people at, at this regional level, you know, I try to, I, you know, working through a shop and getting information out there, it, it's coming at you, um, here in Northern California, even though it touches people, you know, outside of, outside of the Bay area or Northern California, um, because you could then easily say, let's just use Paige for an example. Paige could start her own podcast and would, would what she say, could, could we both be saying the same exact thing in it and, and there, and it be good information? Absolutely. Um, the difference is that, um, in, in our sports, sometimes I think people try to create a hierarchy of like. Okay, so you take someone like uh, Paige Pierce or Steve Anderson, right? They compete at the highest possible level. They they shoot a bow and arrow for a living. Um, does do does the information they have have a tremendous amount of value? Absolutely. Does it mean someone at my level doesn't have a tremendous amount of value? It it doesn't mean that because they're at a higher level than I am that the information that I'm providing isn't, isn't any way inferior. Um, so by no means do I want to give anyone the idea that, you know, the information that, you know, if you're out there and you want to, you know, put information out there and share what you know with people and help other people, you should definitely do it. Um, there is a little bit of, um, of a thing in our sport where 
when it comes to it's sort of like the ultimate flex. It's this uh, big pissing contest and and ego that people have where, you know, this person over here, you know, what have they done? They haven't won anything. So they don't know what they're talking about or, you know, you know, this, you know, and and it turns into this, like, you know, you know, you shouldn't be sharing information with people. Um, if you've never, if you've never done what I've done, and that's not what I think Wendell is saying when he's fighting with the nuts and bolts guy or trying to say, you know, I've won national events. What I really think the root of the whole discussion is has to do with the individual who on a Monday afternoon, they go to their local bow shop and buy a bow and then they go on YouTube and then they really kind of immerse themselves in in that sport or in into archery and they love it and then on friday they sign up for a level 1 level 2 archery certification class and then on they pass that class cuz if you have a checkbook a you know visa mastercard cash or whatever bitcoin you can be now level two certified instructor by Sunday. And then on Monday you have your certificate that you print out online. And now you're a level two certified instructor with USA archery. Now this is not a knock at USA archery or the system, but you now have this certification and you've only been doing archery for a week. Like there's no, they, they do a background check on you to make sure that you're not, you know, a powder ass, or, you know, you know, someone who's going to hurt a child um, or, you know, you know, the, the important stuff. But there's no there's no like, how long have you been shooting? Do you actually know what you've been talking, what you're talking about when teaching archery? So the uh, the problem, I think, is like and, and this is how I feel about it, too. And this is what I'm kind of in interpreting interpreting what I hear Wendell say is we have a problem when people you know do that and then will argue with somebody else or try to say that someone else doesn't know what they're talking about when when you know all they have their only experience in archery is on paper and and um, only in theory okay now, to my knowledge, the nuts and bolts guy is an engineer. He's a smart guy. He knows archery. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure he's helped a lot of people. Um, and, and in the early days, you know, when you went on archery talk, he was uh, very good at helping people answering tuning questions about the bow and everything like that. But there's a point where, you know, when if you you're starting to grow and get bigger you know so does the ego but when the ego doesn't match the skill set there's a problem that guy i've never seen he lives in the bay area on uh, during the summer you can be shooting some kind of 3d club shoot some kind of local event within 15 to 20 minutes well actually there's nothing that's 15 or 20 minutes away Within an hour, you can be at a club shooting some kind of event in, 
in the Bay Area, Northern California, Central Central Valley, like th- there's no shortage of local events to go to where you could even show up and probably be the only guy in your class and win a belt buckle or win a, a ribbon, right? And we never seen this guy at anything, anything. And so, and, and I could be, and I, now I have seen him once. I've seen him once. Um, at a local shoot where he was running the barbecue grill for the local club. That's when I saw the guy. And I don't want to completely talk trash about the guy, but I think some of us have a problem when they, when a person, when, when we go and genuinely try to help somebody online or answer a question and we get shit on by someone who tells everybody how to shoot a 300, but has never done it themselves. That's when I think certain people, or I should say that's when I think you're going to get me and Wendell really fired up. And so I just kind of wanted to like also clear things up from my end because a lot of times like Wendell's like my, one of my best friends. And I think a lot of people, I don't want to say, I think I know because it's, I've gotten directly messaged and people have come up to me and said, Hey, what's up with you guys? I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, Wendell said. And I'm like, well, that was Wendell. That wasn't me. But you know what? So sometimes people have a hard time telling us apart. So I figure I might as well address it. So, you know, that's what we, that's how I feel about it. And I'm pretty sure that's about how he feels about it. Um, so if you're out there and you're and you're listening to this, and, and um, I don't want to discourage you, a listener, or anybody from sharing what you know with other people that's how we grow the sport that's how we're going to get bigger but i'm going to say keep your ego in check and i hate to quote like greg pool here but know your role you know 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 where you are and and keep your keep your ego in check you know the whole level one level two certification thing it's great i think everyone should go through it it's sort of legitimizes people teaching, you know, cause how else is, you know, a parent or just anyone in general who's getting into the sport going to know, you know, that it's a, it, that it's a real sport or a legitimate thing. You know, you know, if, if you're going to charge for lessons, at least you can say, Hey, yeah, I've had some training and that, and that's, what's, that's, what's good about the system. Um, going, going further within that system, you know, um, in, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of people who have a level one, level two, level three certification. Uh, and, you know, when when I had gone through the whole system and I was getting the certifications, I, I had done it I, myself, not because I was like trying to think that this is going to be a way to advance my career, advance myself in archery. I did it because I was hungry for knowledge and I was just trying to learn. You know, that's why I did it. Um, the level four, I almost didn't go do it. And, uh, you know, and the reason I didn't go do it, cause at the time it was a lot of money, um, to take a week off from work, fly down to San Diego and train for a week at the Olympic training center. Um, and, and the course wasn't cheap. I want to say it was like 1500 bucks. Um, that, that's a lot that, you know, that's, you know, you, you couple that with a week off from work. That's not, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money and time. So I almost didn't do it. 
but I kept getting pressure from, you know, my friends in good pressure. You know, this is the kind of peer pressure you want. And this is the kind of people you want in your corner, you know, like my buddy, Jim Padilla, you know, pushing me to, to be better said, you really need to go take this class. You really, you qualify for it. You should go do it. Um, and the reason why, you know, he said they were really pushing me to do it is they wanted me to sort of elevate myself or separate myself from the people who just went and got the certification. Cause at the time that I took that certification, if you, Level one to level three um, was pretty much bought and paid for. As long as you paid for the class and showed up, you were going to pass. The level four was a little different. Level four was um, primarily taught by Coach Kissick Lee and, uh, and, you know, a few of the other level five coaches that usually held some sort of position within USA Archery. Like they were either like JDT coaches or now I think red team coaches. These were all accomplished coaches, meaning the, these coaches actually had success. So they, they had students that are, on, you know, resident athletes. They're on, on the United States archery team. They've, they've won nationals, you know, at the cadet junior, senior level, etc. So So by no means are any of these level five coaches – even if some of them, even if for some of them, it wasn't, this isn't their full-time job. Like these are people who really know what the flip they're talking about. And you, you spend a week of training down there. Coach Lee teaches most of the classes. Um, and at the time Guy Kruger was helping him. Who's also another, you know, wealth of knowledge. You know, he's there. You're going through all the information about the, um, you know, the NTS shot cycle for recurve. And I say recurve because I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. This, this is, this class had nothing to do with compound, even though we had a, you know, a one hour slideshow about how it applied to compound. That's not, I wouldn't say if you want to be a good compound coach, this is the system that you go and, and take. So going through that whole, that whole process, you have to take a written test which anybody with uh, fifth grade education or more can pass because, you know, you can memorize some pretty, you know, you know, simple things. But what makes this class very difficult and at the time, and I say at the time because it has changed how it's being taught, there was about a 50% failure rate or more, meaning if you couldn't demonstrate to Coach Lee and um, Coach White at the time, who was also um, there assisting him, if you couldn't demonstrate you, the the skill set, you didn't pass. And you only got like one. In the past, I, I heard that you only got one redo, meaning like you when they called your name and you had to go into the, his office and demonstrate and give your presentation on on the shot cycle. If you, if you made a mistake, you, you couldn't make a single mistake. You, you got sent back to the end of the line. And then in about an hour or so, as they went through everybody, you got another try. And if you didn't pass, you didn't pass. Um, when I did it, they gave you about two tries. Um, and they were doing a point system. So if you got about 90% of the points 
um, and, and it wasn't like a ninety to a hundred. It was like it was it was they were just if you hit certain, you had to really understand the concepts, not just memorization of the steps. Um, so you had to clearly show that you understood the concepts of what they were teaching about biomechanics, but you also had to understand, also be able to demonstrate it. Meaning, meaning there are people out there who could write a, you know, uh, you know, a 2000 word essay on, on the conceptual side of all, all those co- important concepts, but then you handed them a stretch band or you hand them a 15 pound recurve and they could not ma- they couldn't manifest what it is that they were saying. And so to, the the purpose of the level four was to say, if you got that certification, you could demonstrate it and you could teach it, which was the last element. Can you teach it? Meaning some people could demonstrate it. Some people could on paper conceptually, you know, explain everything, but could you teach it? And that was the final component that they were looking for. So, when I took that class and passed, you know, you know, I, I, I took that as a pretty serious thing. Um, I never used that level for it to kind of, um, I think to my full advantage, like I could have, um, cause I'm in the retail environment and, you know, I've, I've worked with in the Joe ads and done those kinds of projects, uh, you know, at the other, the last shop that I worked at, but, um, you know, the knowing and, 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 or getting that certification still was a big deal. And, and I really think that at the time when, when you got that certification, it was sort of like, okay, it was, it was, I, I felt like, okay, I, I've separated myself from, from the weekend warriors who, or the keyboard jockeys or the very thing that like kind of bothered me in archery. Uh, or bothered me by people who would walk around holding a piece of paper saying, I'm a, I'm a level this. Cause now I could at least, if I ran into somebody that I, and you know, anywhere out there in travel or at a tournament or just in general talking to someone, if they said, yeah, I'm a level four coach. Like I could at least look at that person and be like, I've only talked to you for five minutes and you, and I know that I know that you know what you're talking about because I went through that process and know exactly how hard it was to get when, when, uh, prior to that, and I'd walk around and there'd be guys walking around saying, I'm a level three, I'm a level two or whatever. Like, I'd almost want to chuckle. I'd almost like choke on my own spit because it was, it was a freaking joke. Um, because a lot of the people who would actually mention that they had it or, or advertise it, like that's all that they had to stand on. They didn't have a resume. They didn't have anything else other than the piece of paper to say that I should be teaching archery. Um, so I've kind of ranted there now. It's about 27 minutes. Sorry about that. But um, I think it's important for you guys to know just how much time that I've put into the sport, how much time like Wendell's put into it. You know, now that's just on the education side of it when it comes to actually like shooting a bow and arrow you know, I have put a tremendous amount of work into getting to a level where, you know, 
I, I can safely say I'm not a slouch. I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. And I and I certainly feel like I've gotten to a level where I I feel like I know what I know is correct, but I'm still learning and I'm still getting better. So, anyways, to to kind of sum that up, I think any all of you out there who are listening to this, don't use what um, Wendell said in his podcast or what I'm seeing right now um, in regards to the 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 our online uh, battles with nuts and bolts um, as a as a as a deterrent for you to not you know go out there and share what you know because everybody has value and i think if you're listening to this podcast you're probably trying to get better and you're probably putting in the time and you're probably putting in the work because if you don't like what we're saying you're probably not not putting in the time um because the fact of the fact that someone telling you the way to get better is to actually shoot your bow if that triggers you well then you shouldn't be shooting a bow and arrow and you certainly shouldn't be teaching okay so uh, moving on um i want to talk a little bit about um arrow selection uh i had a, a customer who came in the store asking about what type of shafts they should shoot for indoor um and and I kind of realized that after they left, and, and it's a it's a good customer, so I know I know I'll see him again, and and I know that he he might be listening to this, so I want to answer that question probably more accurately now that I've had time to to think about it a little bit more because um the you know to answer the question it's not going to be the the what we have in stock <laughs> that's not the right way to answer um, any kind of question. But um, right now, there's a lot of supply chain issues uh, when it comes to to uh, companies providing um, archery gear. So I think f- the what everyone should probably do is if you're get what you can get your hands on right now because if it's available out there, buy it because it when you need it a month from now, you're, it's probably not going to be available because everyone's still in outdoor mode and if you need indoor shafts you probably want to get those on order now and 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 um, start building your indoor shafts um i mentioned in the last one that the um california state indoor is going to sneak up on us here really soon in october so you want to be ready for that um now finishing that or finish answering that question of which shaft should I get, you know, you know, I, I usually answer that question by saying, you know, what, what format do you want to shoot? What, you know, which is, do you want to shoot Vegas? Um, do you want to shoot indoor nationals? Do you want to shoot Lancaster? You know, shooting those events. Most of you who listen to this already know that, um, you know, obviously that's probably going to be, a 27 diameter arrow. Um, some of you, um, there's also been a lot of new people that have been getting messages that just started, got into archery and, um, are listening to this podcast. So I'm also going to answer that kind of thinking about that person as well. Uh, and you know, this, I would normally say, you know, if you're going to do those types of events, then get a 27, 
and then if you're going to do um, world archery stuff, well, then now you have to get um, a um, 23 diameter size shaft. And and then I would usually probably say, get yourself a you know spot hog swap rest, you know an edge swap where you can tune a 23 diameter arrow and then tune a 27, and then you know, or an AAE freak show rest that has the same. I think it's called a QD, you know, where you can swap the um, the heads on it, just like you know for so you can keep the rest mounted, but shoot a different arrow and and tune for each individual arrow. Um, but because of supply chain issues right now and, and somebody new who's getting into it, what I'm going to say is buy a 23 diameter shaft. That's going to make the most sense for, I think, the the first time um, shooter getting into indoor. Um, I think there's probably going to be more, as of right now, just looking at what is available you can get the Easton, uh, you know, X 23s all the way from a 2312 to a 2315, um, pretty easily. Aluminum shafts are pretty easy to produce and Easton's, you know, from what I can see is pumping them out. So the nice thing about that shaft is you can get that aluminum shaft to tune. Um, or I should say, you can get any arrow to tune, but you'll be able to match your spine a little bit better if that's what your concern is. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole conversation about shooting a stiff arrow or if shooting a stiff arrow is the right way to, the right way to go. That will come up pretty soon here when I have some different guests on here that can explain the whole stiff arrow concept. But for some people shooting the lighter poundages, um, you know, you might experience a little bit more forgiving arrow if you start off with an arrow that spines out correctly, because that's something you can understand and wrap your head around. Um, you can do that with a 23 diameter size shaft. Um, Easton makes those, uh, shafts in, um, in different sizes. They also have a carbon alternative option, which is the super drive 23. You can get those shafts in, I believe three different sizes. I think you can get like a, a 375 and a, and a 475, and I, th- I forgot what the other size is, but I think there's a third size there. I don't know. If, I forgot if it's stiffer or weaker, but um, I think it's 280 maybe is what it is. But um, so you can get, um, you know, a carbon version. Nice thing about aluminum is it's going to be perf- almost perfect um, and have the best tolerances. There's also a like crap ton of aftermarket options for points available. You can buy the competition archery products points. They make like pro points and knockbusters. They got like a ton of different points that you can pick from in different weights so that you can, you know, work on the spine a little bit. Um, I mean, you can get points anywhere from like 120 grains up to like 250 grains, 300 grains. Or um, There's also companies like Smith Brothers who makes custom points for all of those shafts or most of those shafts and also um, – I guess like top hat, you can buy those on, you know, those types of points as well. So there's a lot of options for you. Uh, the, the other company that I know of that has a ton of options in different sizes in, in those, in those shop shafts are like black Eagle. Like they have a lot of choices in those indoor shafts as well. Uh, as far as the, the points and adjustability, um, 
it's been a long time since I've shot a black eagle, so I don't know what's available. But I do know that they even have like adjustable spine or different spine thicknesses, even on their 27 diameter arrows. So, you know, if, 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 if the idea of shooting a 150 spine or a 200 spine arrow scares you in that 27 diameter shafts, um, I think you can get one that's a little bit weaker. Um, and, um, so might shoot a little bit better for you. Um, carbon express has options. Gold tip has a lot of options. Um, the gold tip ones, you're not going to have a, a big variety of spine choices. Um, when you're buying the, the, um, the gold tip stuff, um, they're 23 diameter arrows. I believe it's called the nine three. Um, and they're triple X. Like you only get one, there's only one size available, which is super stiff. Um, and, uh, that that's, but they have another, um, there's a whole, like I said, there's a whole nother concept or, you know, school of thought on shooting just a solid, almost, you know, stiff as you possibly can arrow for indoor. Um, and then there's a, another school of thought of, you know, shooting the right spine. So not going to get into it. I'm going to let you guys decide, but that's how I would advise you is to, for the first time, for the first time shooter, buy a 23 diameter shaft. And that way you can shoot a 23 that way you can go to, to the world archery events, USA archery events, and not be disqualified because you ha- your shafts are too big. But you could also go to Lancaster. You could also go to Vegas, and you can go to indoor nationals um, or any of your local, you know, indoor shoots and and still be competitive and not show up with, uh, you know, skinnies and then feel like you're, you know, weird for shooting a skinny arrow because everyone else has fat arrows. Um, I would say that a lot of people even professionals um, shoot primarily the 23 diameter shafts, especially like a lot of the European guys that are doing like the world archery tour. I mean, those guys are shooting nothing but 23s all the time. And really Vegas is the only event that they come to. That's, you know, a 27 diameter shoot. And then there's the king of archer, the kings of archery shoot um, that also you know, has a 27 diameter shoot. So there's really only like two events that, you know, a lot of those guys um, will shoot that require 27. So a lot of those guys, I mean, world records have been set with, with the 23 diameter shots. So don't rule it out. Um, I think that's a really good way to get started. And um, I think, I think you're, you're going to benefit from that. Uh, Second is, um, I had a question here that um, somebody wanted me to ask Heather um, on the last podcast about walkback tuning. Um, so when she comes on, I'm going to let her kind of talk a little bit more in detail about how she does that. Um, but I'm going to kind of explain um, the way I do it. And on the solo episodes, you're getting my opinion on how to do stuff, not somebody else's. And I realized that if I have a guest on and and they're talking about what they're doing, I would be, it'd be, I'd look really foolish explaining what I do to when really the whole purpose of having a guest on the show is to really understand what they're talking about, not what I'm doing. So solo episodes, you're going to hear what I do. So here we go. So walk back to the way that it was taught to me. Um, the very, the first guy that showed me how to do it was Jim Long. Um, if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Jim Long, um, I want to apologize in advance if you do ever have to meet him. 
Um, he's getting older and, you know, he, he gets a little bit too hands-on, um, with people, but you know, he, he's a, I mean, he's a great guy, but anyways, Jim was the first guy to teach me how to walk back tune. And, uh, since then I've sort of modified it to make it work for myself. And so the way that I do it is, and I've do, and I do it a few different ways and depends on what I have available to me, um, at the club is, um, a lot of times what I would do is I would, uh, take a piece of string and hang it from the bell. Um, and with, you know, put like a little bit of like a weight, uh, I would usually just tie like a stabilizer weight at the end of it and just grab a bail pin and kind of hang it until it stops moving. And then I would take the paper target that was already there on the bale, and I'd get the edge of the paper to sort of line up with that, that plumb bob. And then, and then, you know, pin that paper target in place. And then I would set my sight to where, uh, to 60 yards. And, and then I would stand at six feet away from the target and I'm aiming right for the, like, I'm trying to split the different, like split the paper where the paper meets the cardboard in half. And so, and I'm doing it at 60 yards. I'm moving my sight down to 60 yards and, um, I'm going to shoot at that, that line. And I'm going to try to get the arrow to like split it in half. So if the arrow hits even like a quarter shaft to the right, I'm going to move my sight to the right or to the left or wherever it's hitting and get it to where it's hitting dead nuts. Once I get it hitting dead nuts, I'll move back to 60 yards and I'll just aim at the dot and I'll aim at the dot and I'll just, you know, execute, you know, as many good shots as I can. Of course, I'm going to rule out any bad ones. And then I see where the, where the arrows want to go, where they want, where, where are they drifting towards? And, and so if my arrows are drifting to the left or they're on the left side of the dot or, you know, then, then I'll, I'll move the rest towards the point, towards where I want the arrow to to hit. So if my, my shafts are hitting left, I'm going to move my sight to my rest to the right. And I'm only doing it at a very, very, very minor, minor amount. I mean, we're talking just little tiny adjustments, like less than a 30 seconds of an inch. And then I go back to the, uh, the six feet and, and shoot it again. And if there's any difference between the sight and the rest, it's going to show up again right there. And then you move your sight again and you just keep repeating that process until you really like kind of get everything to, to line up. And, and what I feel is happening when you do that is, you know, you can shoot a bullet hole through paper, but that's only telling you what's happening to the arrow or to the book or what's happening at, at that close distance. You don't know what your arrow is doing downrange until you actually shoot it. And so, you know, I feel like this test is the test that you really want to sort of solidify, um, your setup. Um, because it's, you know, that's why some people call it group tuning because what they're doing is, you know, they're improving their groups by, by getting, by getting, um, by, um, fine tuning that center shot. Um, but what, what I, what it does is, is 
it exposes what the arrow naturally wants to do and it biases the arrow into the direction that it needs to go. Um, it's a very simple thing to do. I know some people like to do bear shafts and do all that kind of fancy stuff. The reality is bear shafts, well, you don't, you're not shooting a bear shaft. Um, you're shooting an arrow with, with fletching on it. So, you know, unless you're shooting bear shafts in competition, like what's the point? Now I've done some bear shaft tuning and, and I've been able to kind of get my equipment to group just a little bit better by doing it, but I've haven't seen the, um, the payoff from it yet. Um, now I also believe that when you're bear shaft tuning, you also have to, once again, and this is hard for a lot of people. If you just listen to the first 30 minutes of what we just talked about, you know, people's ego is over. A lot of people's egos are way overinflated. So you also have to really be honest with yourself and, and, and be like, what level of archer am I right now? Most people getting into, to target archery should not be bear shaft tuning because you have not worked out everything that you need to work out yet in your form shot process or mental game. And so any little thing that you do incorrectly with your grip or with your shot will show up in a bear shaft. And so it's almost like if you, if you do a, I feel like bear shafting can, can, uh, can almost be a false reading and send somebody spiraling in the wrong direction. Um, when really the French, uh, the, some people call it French tuning, group tuning, walk back tuning really is a test that anybody can do at any skill level and see a big, imp and see, and actually see an improvement like right in front of you, even if you don't have everything a hundred percent worked out yet. So that's, that's going to be, um, like my prescription for you. So hopefully I haven't completely put everyone to sleep on my second solo episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and conclude this one here. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, a couple things I've been messaging a little bit with Brian Webb in Randall, uh, kill pack from Pacifica archery and, uh, Brian's supposed to be getting in contact with uh, Steve from the spot. And we're going to try to get at least the three dates on the calendar for, um, an indoor, sh indoor shoot. Um, and, uh, you know, we're thinking probably late November, early December, late December for dates. I need to also reach out to wilderness, um, and, uh, probably talk to Mark Rubio or, or Mike, and see, you know, when wilderness is going to host their event. And so that way we can get, you know, four solid indoor money shoots, um, for everyone, uh, to go participate at in, um, here in California, I would love a Southern California location. Um, Alex was going to try to reach out to a couple shops and see what's, what the deal is. So hopefully I'm going to reach out to him and see, um, uh, if, you know, if he's found anybody, if not, um, you know, if you're listening to this, 
you know, reach out to your local shop and, and put something together, you know, you know, get, and then get a hold of me. Um, I'd love to see a Southern California shoot go down and I would hate to miss one because of it conflicting with another shoot that's happening in Northern California. I think we can all get together and easily organize this so that, um, we're, we're not stepping on each other's toes and, um, all of, all of you out there get to experience different shops and kind of see what California has to offer. Um, even though I'd love for everyone to, you know, frequently visit West coast exclusively, but you know, I can't, uh, I realize that that's not a hundred percent possible for everyone. So, all right, have a good one guys. will conclude this evening's entertainment.